0: You're listening to the Average Conservationist podcast brought to you by Go Hunt and in partner with 2% for Conservation. Sign up to become a Go Hunt insider today at GoHunt.com. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of your time plus 1% of your money equals 2% for conservation. 2% helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about. Whether you're into fishing, hunting, or just getting outdoors, 2% can help you not only start giving back to wildlife, but get certified for it. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitments as popular brands like Sitka, First Light, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside, and giving at least 1% of time and dollars back to fish and wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies. Breweries Happy Thursday, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Average Conservationist Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Ewing. Now, before uh, we get into today's guests, I just wanted to take a quick second to um, just say thank you to, to everyone uh, who has taken some time to uh, listen to the podcast and show their support over the past uh, eight months. Um, this has been a, a great experience for me and, you know, really. Getting to talk to all of these great individuals and companies who have such a a love and drive and and passion for conservation and the outdoors has been um, nothing short of incredible. So before I got into today's episode, I just wanted to take a quick minute to um, say thank you to everyone out there, whether you've been a guest um, or you're just a, a regular listener. Thank you. Um, Now, today's guest is Kelvin Farinato, and Kelvin is the brand coordinator at 2% for Conservation. And Kelvin and I get to to have a really cool conversation about really how um, she got involved with conservation, um, starting with her time in school and and starting uh, the first uh, collegiate chapter um, at her university where she attended uh, Boise State. Uh, and really how from there it just kind of snowballed into, uh, a life and a career around conservation. Um, we also get a chance to kind of take a, a bit of a deeper look into 2% and really what the process looks like, um, you know, how they are growing, um, and all the different types of, um, brands and companies that are, are coming on board, um, Kelvin also gets to share with us uh, an experience that she had on a, um, a mountain goat call hunt um, this past fall and really take a deep dive into the reasoning behind it, you know, the the feelings that she had towards it um, and just really the overall experience that she got to share with um Four other um, outdoors men and outdoors women um, out there in the Grand Tetons. So really cool uh, story to hear and uh, I really appreciate her taking some time to share that with us. Um, so again today's episode is number 40 with Kelvin Ferrinato. Enjoy guys. All right on the line with me today I have 2% for Conservation brand coordinator Kelvin Ferrinato. Kelvin how are you today?
1: I'm good. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, I know this is uh, this is an early morning recording, so I appreciate you making some time before you head into work. <laughs> yeah, of course. So, Kelvin, you've listened to the podcast, so you kind of know how I like to to start things off here. But um, I, I want to go back to to the beginning, kind of your your roots, your upbringing, uh, and what or how and when um, you were introduced to the outdoors.
1: Uh, yeah, so I was born and raised in Ventura, California, um, beautiful area right on the coast there, a little north of LA, south of Santa Barbara, um, just to paint the picture, and, you know, I grew up constantly outside doing something in the ocean, whether it was surfing, I learned that at a very young age, um, I mean, my dad had my, me on a board at three years old, um, fell in love with it, but, you know, the ocean is the ocean, and... Um, I deep sea fished. I loved it. I spear fished once I got a little older, but there's always something in me that I always wanted to go to the mountains. Um, We would river fish constantly growing up. um, And it was just something I always wanted to do. I always wanted to live in the four seasons. Um, You know, Ventura stays 60 degrees the entire year. When it (laughs) drops below 50, everybody's pulling out their like nano puffs and (laughs) everything. I was like, I want to experience what the real world is like. So not that Ventura is not, but um, in college, I decided to go to Boise State. Um, once I got there, I knew that I was not going back to the ocean. Um, I fell in love with the mountains. I loved skiing. Uh, my grandpa, when I was younger, he taught me how to fly fish, um, and I never really did much of it in California um, until I moved to Idaho. And then once I got there, um, met a few friends they kind of helped me perfect my fly fishing. Okay. And I was done. I was like, this is it. This is what I'm doing. I'm gonna be fly fishing until I die. (laughs) (laughs) I fell in love with it, loved it even more. And then every activity I started doing in Idaho, I was beyond um, infatuated with, couldn't stop. So, went to Boise State, um, and from there, I helped actually start the Collegiate uh, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Club, Um, and you know, Progress a little bit through conservation. That's when I really started to get involved in conservation, uh, learning the back ropes of what they do and just preserving public lands. Um, it was incredible. Great experience for there. Uh, I graduated with a public or a public relations degree and an AA in psych. Um, I accidentally got a psych degree because I kept taking all of these random courses that were like my electives <laughs> were like, oh, criminal psychology, oh, this. And by the time I was graduating, they're like, you're only a class away. Why don't you just finish that? And I was like, sure. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, why not?
1: <laughs> exactly. So I actually didn't start hunting until I was in college. Um, my boyfriend, now husband, introduced me to it. So first time I ever went on was an elk hunt and it was a successful elk hunt. So my first pack out was an elk and I was very much overwhelmed with the experience, but it was another activity that I was like, Oh yeah, done, sold. This is incredible. Getting my food from the source. Um, I've always been super into nutrition and just knowing what goes into your body and how it breaks down and you know, that process. So for getting an elk and eating that and being like wow this is something that i helped with i didn't shoot it but i helped with and yeah. i was there for it and i helped earn it um has then just jet set in my intrigue and wanting to hunt so now i bow hunt um and love it but once i graduated college um i got an internship with the governor's office of outdoor recreation and moved up to montana i lived in whitefish for a while and It was an incredible experience. I mean, I worked on both the conservation end of things and also the brand front, and I learned so much about Montana. And I just—Montana is its own entity, and it's just—it's beautiful everywhere you look. I probably shouldn't be saying this because it's full, but (laughs) it's not gorgeous. (laughs) incredible mountains. Um, the people here are wonderful and I just knew that this was going to be my home, if not my forever home, but my home for the longest time I can think of. Um, I mean, the access is great. And so after working at, um, the governor's office for a while, my, um, fiance, but, uh, he ended up getting a job down in Bozeman and I fell in love with the area there too. And, that's how I got hooked up with 2% for conservation. Um, I was actually working at Shanae's at the time, and Jared, it was my last day, and Jared, our uh, executive director, was coming in looking for something for his son. He's like, yeah, we have this internship, and I would met him through um, the governor's office, and he's like, we have this internship coming up, and um, you know, I know that you're leaving, or it was like perfect timing and everything aligned, and Jared just goes, yeah, if you wanna apply, Feel free to. And I was like, well, I don't know. I don't really want to be an intern again, but right. I kind not of wanna get set on a career. And I ended up being applying and got the internship. I was beyond thrilled. Love what two percent does, love what it stands for. And then after the internship was done, transitioned into a more permanent role. Um and now am the brand coordinator.
0: Wow. So that's that's a really interesting story because I know that, you know, Jared and I have have talked a little bit about um, at least what your role is with Two Percent, um, but to hear kind of the full story is cool, and to see that you know when you were in college that something kind of sparked um, you know your love for conservation uh, and the outdoors is is cool to see, and then how you decide to you know you fall so in love with it, and then you go okay now I'm gonna I'm gonna make this a career. This is what I'm gonna pursue you know further than just you know what you were doing in college
1: oh yeah yeah I mean it was the smallest thing once I realized that I didn't want my public lands or I didn't want animals or something like that to be treated um, my thought was disrespectful at the time but it's grown into an even more big of a passion but realizing that you can do something about it and that there are organizations and um groups out there that want to stop this. I remember being at the governor's office and my boss, Rachel, she was saying, she's like, okay, I need you to find a list of all the conservation groups that you can find. I want to figure out what are the ones and what do they do? And I remember Googling and just so lost in the world of, oh my gosh, there's an organization for sheep. There's an organization for elk. There's an organization for this. And that just kept going, finding myself in this like rabbit hole of everything, like rep (laughs) your water and warriors for. Quiet water. I mean, it is incredible what these organizations have done. And just with just starting too. I mean, two percent for conservation is only five years old. But what we've been able to accomplish in those few years is incredible.
0: Yeah. Oh, I absolutely and and I think one of the 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 things that I love about two percent and the, the brands that are, you know, involved in that are certified is one, um, some of the large name brands that are uh, in the outdoor space that kind of put their money where their mouth is, right? In terms of, you know, they're making a product specifically designed for, um, you know, for hunting uh, or, or angling or, or something in the outdoor space. And then they know that their users are consumptive users, Right, and so they're making sure that they're putting this huge emphasis and effort to to give back to what their customers love to do, and you know the second part of that is also just the wide variety of organizations and businesses that are Two Percent Certified.
1: Yeah, it, it's so cool seeing what like like Sitka the work that they do. Oh my gosh, I didn't even know. Yeah, and it's just baffling that you're like, I want to promote everything. And they're like, that's not what it's about. It's about the animal. It's about like, they do say some of the stuff that they do, but there's so much more behind the scenes and you, it just makes you have a more respect for the brand.
0: Well, yeah, absolutely. It's like, so on, on my side of it, um, as far as like hunting gear, right? Like I, I was introduced to first light probably four years ago, maybe, maybe five. And since then I, I, I just, I just fell in love with, with, everything that kind of they um, they offered as far as like gear but then you know you start to learn more about the company and everything like that cuz they you know 5 years ago they were still a relatively new company and then you know all the work and what they stand for it just makes it such an, an easy decision to to stick with a company like that and to support a company that supports what you love
1: oh yeah and just it's cool too to see the people that work there cuz they all shine through the model of the brand you know like dark timber coffee um uh, tony is an awesome tony's great you know and he's got so much experience in conservation and it's like oh yeah i'm gonna totally try and get as much coffee as i can from him
0: yeah well that and that's just that i've found that since since becoming two percent certified as a company as with my company and then obviously starting the podcast and talking to all these different 2% brands. Like, I, I don't know that I've bought coffee from a non-2% <laughs> brand, in, you know, in the past three or four months, just because I, it, I just, I love supporting them. And then you hear people's story and you, you you know, you get, you almost feel like you get to really know them, even though you only talk for maybe 45 minutes or an hour or something like that. But you just, you, for me, it's like, man, I, I really like these people. I want to support them, you know. Even if it's just buying like a bag of coffee, like it's it, it's it's doing good on so many different fronts, and and yeah, I find myself always looking at um, the two uh, percent's website and seeing like if I need something, like oh, is there a brand that that offers that that I can that I can check out on there?
1: Yeah, that's great. That's what our platform is, and it's awesome.
0: So I wanted to just kind of take a step back there. So you mentioned growing up basically in the ocean, um, you know, living there in Ventura. Do you think that as someone who grew up with the ocean and then always wanting to experience the mountains or the four seasons as you mentioned do you think that's kind of like an opposite so someone who let's say grows up in the mountains like always wants to at least experience the ocean to some degree or do you think it's like the mountains is just this unique thing that people just kind of what's the right way to put it? they just there's just this unknown about the mountains right and I think that kind of just draws everyone in irregardless but what do you think
1: I I feel as though the ocean lures people to people to it but I've seen a lot of people from the mountains and this is just from my personal experience that they panic in the waves or they panic in the ocean and it's just this unknown they can't see what's below their feet they don't know if they're diving through seaweed or kelp they don't know exactly what is in front of them what's behind them because it is it gets black underneath there if you're diving Um, and not being able to see everything. But at the same time, when you're in the mountains, you could be hiking around and there's a mountain lion stalking you and you would never know. I mean, I've had that happen to me once or where I'm just caring about my own business. And my friend goes, you need to stop.
0: Don't move.
1: (laughs) So it's, I think it's just the beauty of the ocean and just being present with it compared to, I mean, it's challenges in both ways. Um, and I feel as though in the mountains you can be alone in oceans and in great surf spots or in great diving and fishing spots you're going to run into somebody
0: right mm. yeah that's, that's a really it is, good
1: it's oh. a lot more of a crowded space down by the ocean than it is in the mountains
0: yeah because that, that, you made a couple of good points there the the unknown of the ocean I think is yeah it's it can be pretty intimidating I mean I've I don't know. I've been in the Pacific. I've been in the Atlantic, and I've I've done some surfing. And I say that very loosely. Um, my wife and I did some surfing on our on our honeymoon in Hawaii, and I was in San Diego a a ways back and um, did some surfing there as well. And yeah, it's especially like in Hawaii with like the reefs and stuff like that. Like I, you know, I was quite a ways from shore, and yeah, just even though there was I don't know. 15 other people out there surfing in this, you know, little surf school lesson that we took. It's uh yeah, it's a little bit intimidating for sure. I can, I can definitely see what you mean there.
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, there's been times where I've been out with sharks or something and I'm like, nope, I'm good. I'm going <laughs> to, yes. where then my dad'll go and he's like, no, I'm just going to paddle 15 yards and catch this next wave. And I'll meet in a little bit I'm like 15 feet to a shark is like three feet. So I'm good yeah but i mean i have my limits and you know there's other i mean i don't tie my fish when i spearfish to me it'll be on a buoy somewhere else but for safety precautions but i mean for me it's peaceful i mean hunting and fishing or the t- or hunting and anything in the ocean are two things that i find i can't have my phone on me um you know i mean i use onyx and stuff for hunting and all of that but or any of those mapping systems, but it's, you still have service or you don't have service, but you can take pictures on your phone, but surfing something where you're in the water and it's you and that's it. Yeah. And it's like a free detach from, um, technology. And that was something that I always loved that in spearfishing. It was incredible having that, um, and completely being alone with your thoughts and facing it. Cause I feel like this might sound really hippie, but being, <laughs> <laughs> An American and constantly being busy and constantly doing stuff. You always have that technology in your way, but surfing and free diving and spearfishing were the one thing that you don't have anything and you are forced to reckon with like, Oh, this is what happened yesterday. I'm going to deal with it now while also being on the edge of my toes. Cause a set might come in and you're wiped off your board kind of thing.
0: Yeah, no, that's a really good way to put it And And I never kind of thought about the distinct differences when you think about like surfing or like spearfishing as opposed to like hunting, because yeah, even when you're, you know, the, the water is just an element that is kind of, it, it's almost like an equalizer, right? Because it just yeah. it forces you to, yeah, just be, be present, no technology, none of that. And yeah, you got to kind of take things head on.
1: Yeah. it's It's great. I'm not as great as I used to be when I was little. So when I go back now, I'm like, oh yeah, this is a whole, this is like relearning a bike.
0: Great. Yeah. <laughs> so now as the brand coordinator for 2% for Conservation, what exactly does that entail?
1: So right now we are still, I would say still figuring out the role. Um, I transitioned from the membership coordinator to this, um, but it's doing a lot more of behind the scenes. So making sure that it's aligning with um the marketing plan and doing the background of the website so every time we get a new business member i'll go on and make a page for it um also doing some of the stuff for instagram which i even though i'm married to an editor i still cannot <laughs> write an instagram caption to save my life um <laughs> it's been a struggle for me there but um definitely That, um, making sure that the new members and individual members are getting stuff on their end. Um, We send a letter every time somebody signs up, getting that to them. Um, Yeah, just quite a bit of the background of it. Um, I'm working right now with um, a PR company that's helping us do some stuff for 2%, and they're coming on as 2% certified. Um, But they are... Really helping me learn more about the PR area, um, which is great. I mean, that's my ultimate goal is to be in PR and do that. So, especially for two percent um, and marketing, and just perfecting the two percent ba- brand, so to speak.
0: Yeah. So, what would you say? What is it that you love most about the work that you're able to do? Is it, you know, just the 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 pure conservation side of it? Is it working with all of these brands that? you know, are so passionate about it? I mean, what is it that, that kind of keeps you coming back every day?
1: I would have to say, well, we have like this pronghorn project that's coming up and it's to remove the fences um, in this spot in Montana. And it's just being like, Hey, Montana fish and wildlife just called and they want us to help out with this project. And you're like, wait, us. You're like, yeah. They're going to help. They want us to help put it on, get volunteers and do that. It's stuff like that that you're like, Whoa, we have a say and we can help pronghorn (laughs) and it's, you never know when you come into work or whenever I talk to Jared, we both work from home. But, um, whenever I talk to Jared, he's like, Oh, I forgot to tell you. And it's like something great like that. And you're like, this is fantastic. I never know what organization is going to call and be like, we need your help to do this. And we've been a part of some pretty good, um, and pretty interesting projects thus far. Um, So that's been one of the biggest things that keeps me coming back. And then also just, like I said earlier, seeing what these brands do and just being able to be like, oh, yeah, we represent them and being proud of being a business that had them being a business member of ours.
0: Well, yeah, and that's that's um, kind of what I would expect as far as like all of the great work, because like you said, yeah, you never know who's going to call from a day to day basis and, and need help or. You know, want to kind of inquire about you know maybe two percent reaching out to some of of their brands um, to try to offer some help because you know there's so many like you mentioned earlier on there's so many different conservation organizations that are doing such great work that you know it, it's hard to to know everything that's going on right mm-hmm. yeah so and since you you know from from transitioning from the membership coordinator to now the brand coordinator. Have you seen or have you noticed with companies that are coming on board, like, a, kind of a, a change um, in terms of who wants to become certified? Um, I mean, it seems like, you know, obviously there's um, a variety of different brands that are different companies that are certified. But, like, I, I'm starting to see, like, a lot more, like, uh, you know, small coffee roasters, um, more, like, apparel companies. I mean, have you seen kind of a shift in the type of brands or anything that want to become certified?
1: Yeah. So it's been great. We've been, um, trying to focus a lot more on angling brands and other brands that aren't just hunting industries. Um, cause 2% for conservation isn't just for hunters. Right. Um, and the great thing about it too, like it's not just for the avid hunter or the avid angler. Um, and that's why we do have, like, we have a piano repair company. Um, you know, and Jared's mentioned a few times uh, that it is, we also have nannies that are yeah, or babysitters that are 2% certified. So, being able to see the expansion, um, has been fantastic. And like Aaron Wheat and Sam Donnell, we just added them to the board this last summer and they've been great with trying to work with like out backpacking brands and skiing brands and stuff like that, which I'm thrilled for, but just seeing the expansion go from, Oh, they're not just hunters and anglers, conservationists. They are real people Affecting real wildlife because, you know, not everybody hunts, not everybody fishes, but most people like wildlife.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that would be that's a uh, you know, I'm almost surprised that there isn't um a brand, let's say, like in the skiing market, that's 2% certified because that's one that would be an easy one for me to support. I mean, I, I love skiing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I I've been skiing since I was, you know, nine or 10 years old. And, yeah, that, that's, uh, you know, something that I would love to to see someone in that space, you know, kind of take the first step or be the first brand to really commit to the outdoors because, you know, there's a lot of people who just love, you know, the resort skiing and that's great. But then there's also, you know, a, a whole nother world of like backcountry skiers, right, who are, you know, skinning up and, you know, they're, they're not waiting in lift lines or anything like that that are, you know, can that that care about wildlife as much as, you know, hunters and anglers do. Yeah,
1: that's yeah, incredible.
0: So now how many brands um, are there that are certified right now?
1: Oh gosh. Do you know off the uh, top of your
0: head? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know, I'm trying to think. Um, I'm going to be totally off because I, I, we keep adding more in too. Um I want to say that there's around 40 to 50 coming either on or coming in within the next few weeks. Um And with transitioning into this role, Jared does a lot of that on the side. So 2% for conservation is my second job. I do have a full-time job, but Jared is – he does a lot of those phone calls. But now that um, I've been taking on this role, definitely seen the influx of like, oh, yeah, I am – there's so many more people. And we constantly have like a new member a week that wants to sign up, which has been fantastic. And then meeting these brands in small towns – and, and like you said, we have like super small companies that is just mom and pop shop, all the way up to First Light and Sitka and Stone Glacier and you know Mountain Top. With Dustin was on here, you know that kind of stuff. So it's been, it's cool. And there's so many different companies out there that I didn't even know existed. And I was like, this is
0: incredible. Well, yeah, and that that's just it. Is you know when when two percent will put out like a a social media post or something announcing um, a new brand you know for for me you know who's not you know super up to date with you know all the the companies that are out there and stuff it's it's a way for me to learn about a new company that i you know for all intents and purposes you know probably would have never heard of you know it, it's kind of the same way with with my company right like just being you know me as the company you know a lot of people don't know what it is or anything like that so to have a platform like 2% and to put you know a mom and pop company in the same space and in the same realm as, you know, companies like you just mentioned that are, you know, very well known uh, across the country, across the world, as far as, you know, gear is, is really cool for, for those small brands to get that the same recognition as, you know, these larger companies. Mm -hmm. Agreed. So do you guys have like a plan, maybe not a plan, but like a a goal, let's say, um, of where you would like to be in the next like three to five years? Um, in terms of the number of brands uh, that you would like to see certified?
1: I don't think necessarily. I think our goal right now, um, and this would be my personal goal for 2%, uh, would be just to expand outside of just into different outlets. I mean, like I said, like the skiing and backpacking and make it more more versatile for everybody. Um, That would be incredible to see. I don't think it really matters how many brands we get certified. Ultimately, it would be great. The more, the merrier. Um, but just diversifying what we have currently.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's and because it, it, it's got to be tough. I would imagine like and I kind of knew asking that question that it's it's tough to put a number on, OK, we want another, you know, 100 companies or 100 brands certified over the next, you know, three years. And it's hard to to because if a company decides they don't want to do it, it's it's kinda of tough to change their mind whether they don't wanna, you know, make the financial commitment or the commitment from the time standpoint, which, you know, as I've I've talked about with you know a number of people on here is not you know, it's not that big of a of a commitment in the grand scheme of things. I mean, if you figure twenty one hours a week, I mean people or twenty one hours a year, excuse me, people waste that just watching T V right so (laughs) to to spend a couple Saturdays or you know some nights or weekends to you know spend your time doing something is is not a a large-scale commitment by any means
1: no not at all we had a um committee member last 2018 every day he went out and picked up trash and like accumulated wanted to see how much he could get at the end of the year and but that's what he did even if it was a little bit and it was awesome that's how he gave back
0: yeah and that's and that's kind of what I love about 2% is all of the different ways that you can donate your time, right? Like it doesn't, it's, it's the, um, the criteria for, you know, what qualifies as giving back is, and, and Jared's pointed this out when we've had him on here and, you know, just in talking to him, you know, off the podcast too, is there's so many different things that, you know, count as conservation that maybe someone don't, doesn't you know, think about because it's not, you know, volunteering in some big, you know, BHA or RMEF, um, you know, cleanup or fence pole or, or something like that. I mean, you can still have a very large impact, even if it's just at your, you know, local park or trailhead or, you know, water system, you know, whatever the case is.
1: Yeah, it's fantastic.
0: So I want to talk about uh, keeping with conservation here. I know that you... Uh, we're part of a team that had a very, um, unique opportunity, um, to participate, um, in a conservation, um, project, I don't know if project's the right word, um, (laughs) because it, it, that just, that just doesn't feel right to call it a project. Um, but without giving too much away, why don't you tell us about, uh, this specific, um, event or or well, we'll call it what it is this this hunt that you had a chance to participate in
1: yes so back in uh the end of september or october i this year's already long um <laughs> jared myself um sam dwinnell uh jess johnson and craig i'm gonna butcher his last name but oh Roshka from Maven we all went to uh, the Grand Tetons and helped with the mountain goat coal um and geez it was an interesting trip um we were off of Moran Canyon um which Tetons in itself I've spent time there as a kid and I never realized its beauty until I was hiking around in there um with a rifle on my back and baffled um, so there was three shooters, myself, Jared and Craig, but it, it's an interesting, <laughs> I'm having a hard time trying to describe it cause it was such a weird trip. Um, so basically the Teton goat call was the eradication of goat mountain goats in the national Tetons. They had two calls this year in the Tetons and in the Olympic national forest in Washington um basically the purpose of eradicating these mountain goats is because they were transferring diseases um and taking up the resources that the bighorn sheep were um you know um supposed to be living there uh okay. the sheep are native there however the mountain goats have migrated they first uh i think it was fish and wildlife introduced the mountain goats into the snake river valley in idaho and it transferred or they moved up to the Tetones, which Being in that area, I completely understand why the goats moved. Um, However, they've now been impacting the sheep. So the point of it is to eradicate the mountain goats uh, in order to save the sheep population. However, it was – they tried other ways. They tried to move them. They tried to um, do the helicopter capture and retrieve, and it just – Ultimately, the best way to do it was to have ethical hunters in and being able to take the meat out. Um, So if we were to shoot a goat, we were allowed to take the meat. We weren't allowed to take the hides. We weren't allowed to take the heads. Um, Everything had to stay there. The only thing we could take was the meat. And you could only retrieve the meat before dark because it was super big grizz country. Um, I mean, we're hiking around. There's bear sign and... Tracks everywhere, um, but it was—it <laughs> it felt a little bit like, oh, you have your hunter's ed, that's great. Forget everything about it. This is what you're gonna do.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, when you said that, you know, you're only allowed to take, you know, the meat um, off the mountain. Yeah, like that—that that almost goes against like everything that you kind of learned growing up, um, mm-hmm. you know, in in the Well, just hunting in general, right? Because You don't want to waste any of the animal uh, or anything like that. So yeah, that's, I I mean, how did you have to kind of wrestle with that a little bit? Because it was going against everything that you kind of were representing as a hunter?
1: Yeah, the biggest thing I wrestled with that, but also just the fact that they wanted you to shoot nannies and kids and like they preferred if you shot nannies over Billy's and kids. And I was like, I don't know how I feel about this. And Jared had the same thing too. Um, and Craig as well. Like we were like, this is all interesting, but I get the conservation behind it and why they're trying to do it. Um, after so before we went on the hunt, we had to go, um, with the park service and learn everything about this hunt that we could, all the safety precautions, what our rules were, what we did if we ran into civilians in the backcountry. Um, you know, bear safety. We did a full bear, um, introductory with the pepper spray, which actually came in handy on the trip, um, for charging bear, learning how to do that. Um, learning why we were eradicating the goats. Um, I I remember feeling before going on this call, I was like, should I even do this? Is this even really what I should be doing? But after, you know, talking with fish and wildlife and having those two days of learning. Um, I understood more. I mean, I'd never fully understood, but I understood more. Um, so we spent two days doing that. Um, and you have to pass a shooter's test too. Uh, you're only allowed to have copper bullets and you have to get three shots, uh, with your rifle. I think it was 200 yards into this circle of like a six inch diameter. Um, and fish and wildlife is sitting there watching you. And so you've like you'd,
0: so scary no, yeah no pressure at all <laughs>
1: no pressure at all um so you had to get three shots in there and if you didn't get three shots in five shots or something like that you weren't allowed to go oh, um so it they, wasn't
0: like yeah take your time you yeah know, no. you've got you got all day it was yeah that, i mean that, that that's even more pressure
1: yeah so you're like if i miss or if i shake or i have a jump you're out um so and all three of your team had to do it. So if Craig missed, he couldn't go. If Jared did, he couldn't go. You know, and if I did, I couldn't go. But thankfully we all three made it. Um, and we were using those Maven scopes, and oh my gosh, those things are incredible. <laughs> but yeah. oh yeah. Um so we get through training, we do that, repack everything. We were staying at um one of our friend's house out in um somewhere right outside of Jackson destroyed her living room with the amount of stuff we brought um and we were all thrown off because you have to bring bear bins and your own individual bear bins so our backpacking bags got very discombobulated (laughs) um packed up and woke up early the next morning to head out Uh, we kayaked about two miles i want to say across that lake um and jack or right outside of the Tetons. Um, so that was a beautiful morning, stopped on an island. Um, we were all glass in Moran Canyon and Bivouac. And, um, I spotted the first nanny and kids and I was, we were thrilled cause we were like, they're here, they're actually here, you know, and they're incredible animals to watch. Um, we ended up setting up camp the first day. Um, Jared and I broke off from the rest. We uh, glassed one area. The other three went to the other side and glassed. And um, I mean, the more you looked, the beautiful the place got. Um, from our campsite, I mean, it was just us there the whole time. When we landed on the beach, uh, it was like every animal you could think of. Their tracks were there: porcupines, wool or you know, wolves, coyotes, bear tracks, moose. Like every animal track was in the, the sand. It was beautiful. Um, and then having Sam there as a wildlife biologist, she's like, okay, this is this, this is what we're going to do. And this is where this is. And, you know, (laughs) it was super cool to have her there. Um, every morning we woke up pretty early, not early in comparison to normal hunts, but woke up early, trekked out three, four miles. I mean, you're bushwhacking the entire time. Um, we knew we got a general area as to where the goats were. Um, just knowing from previous trips that came in. Um, so we knew kind of where to go, kind of where to glass first day. Didn't see really anything. Um, if I remember correctly. Um, but you're walking around and we walked out, I think at the end of the first day, everybody was covered in scrapes and scars. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um,
1: and then, you know, we, I think it was the second day our third day we found the goats and it was a nanny and a kid. Um And just watching the kid, I think we named him Eric Cartman because he just couldn't stop running around.
0: <laughs> um
1: And just, he would like, Oh, parkour jumping off a rock. And then the nanny was like, all right, whatever. And just kept going. And he was just running everywhere all around her. And it was super cute to watch. Um, so we, me Jared and Craig decided to uh, make a move on it and then ended up completely blowing the um, stock. And the thing with the coal is that they wanted you to shoot at any length. It was kind of like, if you could shoot it, shoot it. Which I've never taken a shot at all. You know, I don't think anything over, for me personally, I'm not comfortable with anything over 400. I don't.
0: Okay, which is, yeah. and, And I think that's just, that's different strokes for different folks right like whatever your comfort level is it's going to be different for for everyone out there
1: yeah and this was like they were hundreds of yards away but that was something that fish and wildlife was like if you got a shot take it we didn't um but you know and then at that point um jess had ran into a little grizz cub (laughs) Oh wow! Because we were split up, we left uh, Jess to go glass for us and let us know if she saw anything or if the goats moved, um, and you know wave her hands or something like that for us. Um, and as she's hiking down to us, I think they both scared each other—the <laughs> young grizz and her. Thankfully, she was completely fine, and you know Jess is a badass, so yeah, oh yeah, she's, <laughs> she's got it covered. Um, Sam met up with us to let us know that the goats had moved and um at that point we realized we were not going to split up at all again um so the next day we went exactly to that straight spot there was this beautiful clearing um we had at that time every morning you had to send in a notification to tell fish and wildlife that you were okay and that your team was good um from a GPS and so our GPS wasn't sending anything that day um and so Jess it was in the middle of the afternoon Jess was trying her hardest to try and get um, the signal to go out. So she goes walking off in this clearing, and we can all see her. And she's standing up holding uh, the GPS, and she goes, large animal, large animal, and starts running at us. And there's this little bull moose that ch- charges her. Sam runs, grabs her um, bear spray. Jared and I have mine. Craig grabs his camera. <laughs> and- <laughs> Sam sprays the moose, Jess falls and just bangs herself up on a rock. The moose sprays, it runs right into Jared and me and Craig, pushes us into the river, the um, trees. Jared sprays at full like length all the way around, thus getting me in the face and the moose. Oh, jeez. Moose runs off. We're all coughing and I'm like gagging, trying my hardest to (laughs) figure out where I was, which thank the Lord I was wearing sunglasses because otherwise it would have been all in my (laughs) face. Um, But yeah, that was the thrill of that day. And yeah, it was a, that was the first time I'd ever been charged. And so seeing a moose and all Jess could see was a tackle standing up and on a super dark brown moose, you know, you're not going to know what it was.
0: Right. Mm that's uh that's intense it
1: it got us all up and moving but we also realized we were standing in the middle of a corridor um and that there was a huge game trail after that we're like oh yeah this makes sense (laughs) but about two hours later we saw the goat and the nanny again um and decided to make our move um when we got on the goat jared and i were 890 yards away. It was up the chute. And then Craig and Sam and decided to go up it. Um, I was battling super bad with that being at that length. Jared was too. Um, I mean, we took a shot, but both of us were pretty far off and it didn't even seem to bother the nanny. And you're we like, you know what, <laughs> this is weird. Um, cause you know, it goes against everything that you learned. So yeah.
0: oh, go ahead. Sorry, keep going. Go ahead. No, no, keep going. No. Keep going.
1: Um, so we took, I think it was two shots each, something like that. And at the nanny and the kid, I was aiming at the nanny. He um, decided to shoot at the kid. And it was like one thing that we had discussed beforehand. Cause that was one thing I didn't think I could do. Um, I didn't think that I could shoot a kid and be okay with it. Um, even though I knew I would be taking the meat out and taking as much as I could out. I still just, you know, it's a kid.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: It it, it doesn't help what their name is. So um, we missed both of them by a few feet at the least. Um, Craig tried his hardest to get up there fast with Sam, too. They ended up losing him. But, again, I mean, these animals I think now are one of my favorite animals. Just watching them and seeing their interactions with the landscape, I mean, it's pretty incredible. Pretty incredible their where they live. It's just yeah. how they
0: move. Yeah, and they, they live in some pretty rough terrain. I mean, I've I don't really have any experience other than, you know, research that I've I've done or videos that I've seen and, and things like that. But yeah, I'd imagine that 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 experience that you guys had in, in terms of Just seeing them interact and like you just said, that it might be one of your your favorite animals now. like I can see why people get so hooked uh, on goat hunting, right? Because they they experience that same thing too and it just becomes kind of this, uh, I don't know if fascination is the right word, but this maybe infatuation with them and how they, like you just said, how they move about the landscape and how they interact with everything and the places that they live are just insane.
1: Oh, it's incredible. I mean, it was... We took the first time we saw them just to watch them, to learn their pattern. And if you took your eyes off of it and just stared at it through it, oh, my goodness. It was was beautiful. Like, I don't think I've ever seen animals interact in the way that they do. And I've watched, like, sows and cubs, which are super fun to watch, too. But there's something about mountain goats, and we had the conversation that nannies are – the best moms, I mean, just that they're so you're gonna learn on your own, you're gonna figure it out If <laughs> you fall and burn, you're gonna fall and burn. It's okay. So <laughs> Get now, back up again
0: now did uh fishing game did they have um like any expectation or anything like that in terms of um number of goats that they either wanted or thought you guys were gonna be able to to take out of the park?
1: No, they just anyone you saw they wanted out basically. Um, so if you could shoot one, great. If you could shoot 10, great. That was the weird part too. Um, it was so, but me, Jared and Craig were the only ones that could shoot Sam and Jess couldn't. Um, and they were phenomenal to have on the trip too, just, you know, with their experience and background and Sam knowing the area and knowing what to expect. And also, they're like mountain goats. Oh my gosh, they hike so fast. I was like gasping trying to catch up with them. But <laughs> they, um, they could help pack out the meat. Uh, we could take as much meat as we wanted but and take as many goats as we could. But so, the only two that presented it was the nanny and the kid.
0: So why do you think, or maybe they explained this um, when you guys uh, had your kind of your, your classroom sessions there, why is it that only three of you guys could have have a rifle, um, but the other two couldn't? If they if they were trying to you know get as many you know kill as many of these goats as possible, it seems like they'd want you know as as many guns, I guess, or as many people trying as possible as well.
1: I think it just is odds. Um, so having that many more shooters means that there's that much more opportunity for miss and also regulation of it. Okay. Um, so having three shooters and having them have to take a test in order to figure out what their um, shooting skill is, um, and we were vetted pretty hard. We had to send in a full application, kind of explaining how much working out we've done, um, what we, what our experience was, uh, if we have any violations. Like it went pretty far back, and they did a pretty extensive extensive background, um, check on all five of us. Um, but when it came to the shooting, I don't, they didn't really touch why it only had to be three. Um, just that you had to pass the shooter's test. Um, and you had to know your way around a gun
0: for sure. Oh yeah. And, and I think that that just the comment that you made right there is, you know, with knowing your way around a gun, I think, you know, with, you know, irregardless of, of how many people you have in your group and, and how many guns, there's always this inherent um, potential of of something going wrong or an accident happening. Right. And I think that, you know, maybe just in in their minds, you know, it's just it minimizes or mitigates the risk a little bit less if, if maybe you have, uh, you know, less firearms in the group. I, you know, I'm not sure if that, but I could see that, you know, potentially being a reason.
1: Yeah. And we were only allowed to shoot with copper bullets. Um, and we were going into areas, our area, we didn't see a single um, person apart from our group. Um, it was only the five of us the whole time, but there was definitely, I mean, we saw people on the lake. That was about it. But, um, I think too, just with, there's other parts that people were in. So there was like nine sections. Um, and we were in, I don't even remember what our number was, but, um, other people had a lot of traffic for um whether it was rock climbers or people just recreating um and we had to wear these badges the whole time that say national park volunteer which was also like that's weird (laughs) um but you know i think it also was just the safety of the um pedestrians and other random you know visitors that were in there too you see somebody walking around with a rifle in a national park and i'd be like what's you know, yeah. as a civilian being like, what's, is, what is going on? Yeah.
0: Something, something's not right here. Yeah. So now I know you said that you guys um, had taken some, some shots that were maybe a bit further than what you were really comfortable with. Were you able to, to catch up with these, with these goats and get yourself in a position for a better shot uh, over the next couple of days?
1: No. So we ended up only taking those shots on the very last day. Um, and you had to be out at a specific time by a specific time on the next day. I think it was noon or two o'clock that Sunday, whatever that Sunday was. Um, But that was our only day that we ended up getting the shots on them.
0: So now do you know, or do you have to like have kind of a a debrief with fishing game as far as like what you experienced? Um, You know, obviously if you, if you weren't able to take any, any goats off the landscape there, I mean, do they have, or did they share with you, like a plan for the next steps to try to get these goats, um, you know, out of the park?
1: Yes. So we ended up knowing the group that went in after us into the exact same spot. I think they went in a week or two later. Um, but when we finished, we went to fishing game, uh, headquarters and Scott was the guy that we talked to. And, um, we gave our back, our, you know, our, bear bins and bear spray and other stuff that they had given us the GPS, the tags. Um, Oh, so when we were, if we were to kill them, um, and be successful in that sense, uh, we had to do a nose swab and I think it was cut off a part of their ear for science, uh, for the biology to biology team to, um, just see the health of the animal and just do a little bit of research on that. Um, so we had to turn in all of this stuff, back to fishing game. Um, and Scott was talking to us about, okay, where were they? What points were they at? You know, and we marked them all and gave them to Scott. Um, and so that he could tell the next group, um, and told them where we camped the path that we took. I think Craig had marked it or traced it on, um, one of the mapping systems to make sure, I don't know if I don't think he had Onyx, but I think he might have had like base map or something and just tracked where he, where we went and the path that we took. Because by the end of the, <laughs> by the end of the week, we had worn a pretty good path, through these <laughs> bushes. Um, and then uh, we found out from, I think Jess actually knew the group that went in after us and they were successful in both the nanny and the kid.
0: Okay. And okay. harvesting. Them. So... When it's all said and done, I mean, what was your overall experience of a call hunt like that? Or, would it, or I guess, what would be your your takeaway? Like, would you do it again? Um, you know, even though you know you know it's for the right reasons, even though it, it's it's a tough hunt because it's you're out there for reasons different than what you normally would be.
1: I I don't know it. I love the experience, but I also loved the area. I mean, Teton National Forest is incredible. Uh, it is a beautiful park. It is an, I understand why it is what it is. Um, so in that sense, I'm very, I mean, every morning we woke up and kayaked a mile across to get to our area. Um, you know, and at sunset, we did that too. We'd kayak back in the night or canoe back in the night. Um, for that reason, I wouldn't take anything back. And then also just learning and being around goats. I feel like I'm like almost an expert I'm nowhere near at all but being able to understand um them I would definitely go on a goat hunt now um I definitely need to get into better shape (laughs) but um
0: that's that's what you got Dustin for
1: that's yeah I need to go to Mountain Tough (laughs) um he would be up there in a flash he probably would have been successful yeah he's Um, he's he's a different
0: animal in and of itself yeah
1: um but I would definitely go on a goat hunt. That's one of my dream months now. However, I don't know if I would go on a call. Um, and if I did go on a call, I would be the observer, like Jess and Sam were, I would love to be there for that reason. Um, not necessarily be the one that's taking the animal. Um, and I think it does depend on the circumstances. Like I learned, And I did a lot of research beforehand, figuring out why the goats were being eradicated, why they were being, why they didn't get moved, why they weren't, um, you know, why we couldn't harvest them in a different way. Cause I don't think we were allowed, I know we weren't allowed to take the meat up until about two weeks before we went. So we were supposed to just kill them and leave them. Um, and then they finally were like, you know what? Yeah, you can take the meat, which I was like, okay, now I feel a little bit more comfortable with. Um, but If it was similar to that, I can understand taking them and seeing the reasons why. And if they weren't native and they were invasive, um, that makes sense to me. And this coal is different than the Olympic one. Like they had their own reasons for that. I don't know if they were – I think for the Olympic one, they were pushed out of the area that they were because of development. And that's why they ended up in Olympic National Park where these ones migrated to the Tetons. They weren't – they were pushed a little bit, but they were, you know – it wasn't like they were native to the Snake River Valley to begin with.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's I, I think that it, it takes certainly a, a special type of person in terms of, you know, the love for, you know, the landscape for the animals that um, live in that landscape to to be able to participate in something like that and to understand that there is a, a much bigger kind of picture uh, for the reasons for doing it, not just, you know, killing an animal to kill an animal, you know?
1: Yeah. And that's how I've never, I've never, um, took an animal to take one, you know, I mean, I'll wait for the, pre- and I've been blessed too with my husband and his job. I mean, he's a editor for a hunting magazine, so he's very sick. Su- <laughs> he's been very successful this year. So meat, thankfully for us, isn't
0: a huge, you know, issue, Not um, in short supply or anything.
1: Yeah, exactly. But, and that, I mean, that's something I am beyond grateful for. Um, cause I know a lot of people don't have that opportunity, but it's, if an animal isn't what I want or not like what I need at the time, want was the wrong word. But if I don't need the meat, I'm okay passing, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a really cool story. And I knew that, you know, I had talked to Jared prior to, um, you know, you guys going on this hunt and, he was you know he had very mixed feelings a lot like what you had just mentioned and he was you know you could i could hear it in his voice when talking to him that he was just he was just wrestling with the whole idea and i mean but he was also at the same time you know super excited about the the opportunity to to do this conservation you know work um so it, it's uh it it takes a special person like i said
1: yeah and i think that's why they like, there was a group that was there, and they had made comments that weren't really respecting the animals. Um, and they ended up not, not being able to go on the call. Um, the fish and wildlife I talked to them after and were like, You guys didn't make the cut. And they were like, Why? We made the shooting and all that. And it was kind of an odd thing to watch. But, you know, through the grapevine, you hear that they were just not respectful. And it was like, Yeah, we're going to go and do this and that. And you're like, Mmm. They're not here for the right reasons. And Fish and Wildlife recognized that. And that was incredible to see. Um, and for them to see that these people saw it as a trophy hunt instead of a conservation hunt. Um,
0: yeah, and those are the, yeah. And those aren't and, the type of people you want participating yeah. in something like that. Absolutely.
1: And to see Fish and Wildlife kick them out was great. Um, like, um, for us, it was great. Fortunate for them. But hopefully it'll be a reality check later down the line.
0: Yeah, and I think that just kinda speaks to, to fishing game too, and that, you know, they they want the right people on um, you know, a hunt that's kind of as delicate of a topic in a and a situation as it was that yeah, you don't want someone out there with just bloodlust and that's just oh, yeah. looking to, to kill, you know, anything that's moving, although that's kind of the goal, but not as straightforward as that.
1: Exactly. Yes.
0: So well, hey Kelvin, I know you got to get to your other job, um, and I appreciate you taking some time uh, before you even go into work this morning. I know it's a little bit early out there in uh, in Montana to be recording a podcast, so I really appreciate you taking some time to tell us, you know, more about what you're doing with Two Percent and, and hearing about, you know, your path to conservation in the outdoors, and then obviously being able to share uh, the story of the uh, the goat call hunt as well, because that's something that I've been trying to. To, to learn more about since uh, Jared had told me about it. So I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: Yeah. Well, enjoy your rest of the day and thank you again. And uh, we look forward to talking to you soon.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: All right. Take care, Calvin. Thanks. All right. Bye. All right. Well, a big thanks to Calvin for hopping on the podcast today. Uh, I'd also like to thank our partners over at Go Hunt. Be sure and check them out at GoHunt.com as well as Stone Glacier. You can find them at StoneGlacier.com. I'd also like to thank 2% for Conservation, and if you're interested in learning more about 2%, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org, and there you can see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation that you should support when you're shopping for your gear or your coffee or your books or your real estate. Uh, Really, anything that you can think of, there's probably a 2% brand uh, out there that you can shop. I also encourage you guys to follow 2% on social media where they're going to post only positive content so you'll enjoy their conservation uh, focus posts in your feed so again if you'd like to learn more about two percent for conservation you can look for them online on social media or at fishandwildlife.org. thanks for joining me this week everyone hope you enjoyed the episode stay safe out there and conservation starts with you